Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to Haves Unfiltered, episode 126. I'm your host, Blaine Pudney, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Afternoon, everyone. Or um, morning, or whatever it is. Morning, afternoon, evening. Whenever you guys are listening to us or watching us, welcome. We've missed you. Um, Matt is not with us today because he's got to work. Like Air Force guys say that all the time. I don't believe yeah. them. You you know what they're doing? They're probably doing the Top Gun thing of playing volleyball shirtless. And jeans. In jeans for some reason. Like yeah. who does that? Let's play let's play beach volleyball in jeans. Might as well just go and play hockey in jeans and a sweater. Well, yeah, just like in Young Blood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> But at least, at least wearing jeans outside in the cold makes more sense. It does. It does. Not in the summer. But, you know, it makes your upper half sweat more. And, you know. That's right. <clears throat> and we're all about 
not sweating. Uh, Except at the gym, because you know sweat makes it glisten more. So your your gym selfies turn out way better. It's I actually put oil on. Well, that's right. Yeah, shop at Baby yeah. Gap and buy the baby oil yeah. there too. Yeah. 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 Well, my my son's girlfriend she works at uh, Bath and Body Works, so oh, you get a yeah, discount. I, I get a discount. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so we're recording this sunday morning uh the 14th of march uh for those who are not aware march march 14th is known as pi day as in the mathematical number pi but it's also unofficially steak and a bj day for the unmarried types for us married guys we're having steak maybe i might have steak i don't, I don't yeah. know you haven't gotten permission yet. No. Yeah. I'm, I I checked my freezer. I'm out of steak. I got to go buy some fresh ones. I got to find a way to sneak out and sneak around and buy some steak. Yeah. I, 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 I bought steak yesterday for my meal preps, but uh, we'll yeah. see what happens. Got to get those going. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this week we uh, we're going to be covering the Calgary series. We're going to talk a little bit about the Winnipeg series. And finally, we're going to go on to uh, the fan and media reactions to the season so far. Uh, before we do, however, I would like to make a note of congratulations for Nova Scotia-born Nate Darling, who is the first Nova Scotia-born player to play in the NBA. So that's basketball, not hockey, but this is a big deal, especially for people in Nova Scotia. Uh, basketball is a big deal here. And uh, everyone in this province is super proud of having someone from here finally make it. So congrats, Nate Darling. Thumbs up. Yeah, I agree. I, I know nothing about basketball, so. <laughs> Round ball. In oh, I, I know of the yeah. game, just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Arash Madani uh, shared uh, shared a big long social media post in congratulations. Uh, friend of the show Paul Bromby, who uh, was a basketball player for St. Mary's, uh, he uh, he waxed poetic about the importance that this is. This is this is a big deal for Nova Scotians, uh, especially in the basketball community. So uh, hopefully he is the first of many to finally make it. So <clears throat> from there. Uh, I think we should just move into the Calgary series. So Calgary started off this series with a new coach, new old coach, kind of recycling as the Montreal Canadiens tend to do, bringing back Sutter and uh, his inability to wear a COVID mask. Uh, their new their game has gone back to what we saw of the Flames back when he was coach, uh, back in 2004 when they made the final, where they were extremely hard on the four check they uh they worked they outworked pretty much every other team every night um and they play a heavy heavy game they use their physicality they're built for it they have decent speed overall uh and this is the flames team i kind of expected at the start of the season now why don't you give us a little bit of your point of view on what you saw in this two game set uh, I just seen a Flames team to smother the Canadians. They uh, killed their transition game in the neutral zone. Uh, they beat them to the board, beat them to the puck almost every time. Uh, won the board battles. 
uh, won the the slot, um, and uh, they just won. it was the small things of a game that they won, which ends up being more of a bigger thing than the big things. They out hit Montreal, they out skated Montreal, they out battled Montreal, everything. Um, the first game, I will give Montreal a little bit of a break because it was their second game in 20 hours or 21 hours or something like yeah. that. Yeah, that's uh, a they, ridiculous schedule. They, they never got into Calgary till 5 in the morning Calgary time, which is 6 in the morning or no. Anyway, it's, a, it's an hour difference in the time difference from Vancouver. So, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll give them that. I will give them that. But also, if you look at that first game, Calgary didn't play that great of a game. Really, no. They 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 didn't. Montreal was dead on their feet. Calgary knew it, and they just kind of uh, Allen. I mean, Montreal. Allen played well. They lost two to one. Uh, it was a better outcome than I thought it would be. Um, as a matter of fact, the second game was what I expected to see out of the first game. Uh, it just seemed like the second game, Montreal still was in bed or something, or they thought it was a late start, so they didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that first period was horrendous. Um, I think it was uh, 16 shots to three in the final two minutes. Montreal got three or four shots in the final two minutes to make it 16 to four or 16 to six or seven. And then, yeah, they had a flurry in the last two minutes, but before that it was just smothering Calgary, just smothered them. Yeah. Uh, Props to Calgary for playing their game. And, uh, and, and then, but Montreal is, is a better team than that. And they should have found a way to, uh, to, to, get past it, especially in the second game. Like I say, I'll give him a break the first game. Others won't. We'll get into that later. But uh, I'll give him a break in the first game. Uh, but that second game, after the first period, now mind you, the shots were a little bit closer, Montreal, but Montreal didn't really give any Marcus Strom that hard of a, a time. There was no real... I didn't... To me, there was no real uh, uh, high-scoring chance, I'll say, for Montreal. Petrie buried one. Uh Thanks to Drew in another thing we'll get into later, but uh, yeah, Montreal should have found a way to get around that. And they didn't, they lost both games. They finished the week one, two and one. Um, and now they are only two points ahead of Calgary in the standings for the uh, final playoff spot. So yeah, instead of a possible 10 before this series started, had they won yeah. both games, they'd be 10 ahead and right. that'd be a big gap. But, and that, that just proves that every game being a divisional game, how important each game really is. And what I saw out of this series was a Calgary Flames team that played, just like I mentioned, a pre-lockout style of hockey. And what what kind of irked me a little bit was how much they got away with in doing so. There was a ton of clutching, a ton of grabbing, a ton of questionable hits. I mean, uh, Matt retweeted... Um, Here's your replay uh, gif of uh, Suzuki getting hit from behind. No call. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of stick work. <clears throat> and I'm all for letting them play. But if you want to not call those things, don't be calling them on the other team. Whereas Montreal got a few of those calls go their way, you know, against them. Um, and while one of them did turn into a goal, the... Uh, the Monaghan power play goal, I'm not saying that that caused the loss. What I, All I'm point, pointing out is the inconsistencies are aggravating. What caused the loss was what you said. The Canadians were flat-footed. They did not come with their best game. Uh, 
but again, like you mentioned, I as well give kudos to Calgary for putting their game plan together, sticking to their game plan, and executing it. Because they, they really did take the game to the Canadians. Well, definitely. And uh, Descharmes didn't really have an answer. Or he... Uh, and I'm, it's not slight on Descharm. Uh, I'm just no. saying uh, he he Montreal had a better second and third period. Price was stellar. Price had a great three goals against, but he had a great game. He kept them in this game. And none and of those goals are really – none of them were bad goals. No, no. Uh, well, Armia pretty much just gave up on a play behind the yeah. net and lost the puck. Uh, the second goal was a power play. Oh, Monaghan right in the slot just – just put yeah. it over and I'll, I'll be honest. I never saw the third goal, but, uh, Neither um, did price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, I would dare say, and, and this is not a slight of Ducharme cause I think Ducharme's doing good. I, I'm not, I'm not going to bash Ducharme. Uh, I think they're three, three and three under him. If I'm not yeah, mistaken so far, so far, so far, they just lost their last two to a rejuvenated Calgary team. Uh, I'll start the excuse wheel, I guess. Montreal did just play like five games and seven nights or whatever the hell it was. Calgary almost had a week off coming into the series. Yada, 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 yada. Fine for the first game. Second game, I'm not I'm It's not inexcusable an in the second game. It's inexcusable in the second yeah. game. <laughs> um, but it showed. And... Fortunately for Montreal, and, and, and I'll, I'll throw some positive into this, is there's still two games up on Calgary. Uh, I'd have to look at what Calgary's games are, but I think they're game in hand on Calgary. I'm not sure. Yeah, they got one or two games in hand. So if the Canadians and, can find a way to pick up some points there, that would help them. It would also help right. them catch up to Edmonton as well. Well, and they're three games behind. and They got three games in hand on Edmonton and only five points behind them. So yeah. Uh, Having said that, there's there's no reason to panic just yet over uh, uh, two bad games. Are you kidding? Uh, this is this is Montreal. You lose a period, the panic sets in. That's true. That that's very true. And I think we're going to get into that later. But yes, uh, that's definitely going to be uh, something we're going to talk about. Um, now, for this series, uh, as as I said earlier, it's inexcusable for what they did in that second game. That that lack of uh, that lack of extra effort because you, you needed to really bear down against this, this team. That's their identity is going to be hard work at Calgary's. That is the Canadians uh, find success when they use their speed in the forecheck, when they keep the tight gaps and they create a small tight group for quick uh, quick passes in support. Now, Jeff Petrie mentioned after the game that there, that wasn't there. They didn't have that little triangle in their own zone for the defender to make a quick out. So he can't, he didn't have his two outlets, a center and a winger to make a quick five foot pass. Normally when they do well, when someone's in on the four check on one of the defensemen, he has that, that option of one to two, players there for a quick five foot pass it it breaks down the other team's four check and they're able to bring it up up the zone in the case against calgary those players weren't even there Uh, you had the one winger way up high and the center was in the high slot it created for 
awkward passing lanes because if the high slot center is open, you're making a pass up the middle. And the winger way up high doesn't help because he has the defenseman right there on him. And we saw that time and again through the game where the pass would be brought up to the winger because it's a safer play. And the defender, the Calgary defender, would just step in on him. And the puck would go back in and the cycle would continue. The wingers weren't uh, moving their feet either. Like they're, no, they were standing like still. They were standing there waiting for the puck. So the Calgary defenders were like, all right, I'll just wait for the puck to get him, take it from him, and and away we go. Because the Calgary defenders were moving their feet. And that's right. Uh, that again, first game, I can see that you're tired. You know what I mean? You want second game? No, you got. And that's why they were so successful in the uh, seven to one victory over Winnipeg, because they had those five small foot passes. They sent it to the board, sent it to the middle back. You know what I mean? They, they had yeah. this plan. They had their triangle going well. They controlled the neutral zone and they weren't pinned in. They, well, I mean, you're going to be pinned in your zone every once in a while, but they weren't pinned in their zone. Like against Calgary, it almost seemed like it took forever to get out of their zone. Every yeah. time Calgary got in their zone, That's they get right. the puck back and it was just, you know, took forever for them to get out because either they're standing behind the net looking for someone to get open or, to get into a good passing lane or you have the, the defenseman just passing it to each other because they can't pass it to anyone else or they're going to give away the puck. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I think a lot of that has to do with what we mentioned earlier and the fatigue factor. You mentioned this, this schedule where it's so tight of a schedule. They had to play so many games and so many nights. And this is where the depth was supposed to step in. We uh, this this depth that everyone was talking about before the season, um, how oh look at the taxi squad, look at the look, all four lines, blah blah blah. With this kind of schedule, what they should what they should be trying to do, and Ducharme has not done so yet, is cycle his uh, his taxi squad members in. So he brought Lekkinen back in, but Evans had to had to go down, which. I, I personally uh, shouldn't Byron or someone like that, but whatever. But, uh, yeah, and that that kind of by moving Evans out, you're taking away one of your better faceoff men, and you're losing a center. And the Canadians don't have that many centers in the NHL right now. They only have the four that are doing anything. So where's Froelich in this? Why can't they bring him in as well? Sit one of the like Tatar, let him sit, or Perry, or you know the guys that are showing that their legs are just tired. I mean you're even if it's Toffoli or Anderson or, or Drouet or whatever, whoever it is, if they're showing signs of fatigue, bring these guys in, let the depth take over and then keep the legs fresh. Not just that, but you have guys, let's not just the fours. Let's talk about the back end. Let's yeah. Talk that's, about, I was kind of teeing <laughs> that one up. Let's talk about Shea Weber. Shea Weber needs a night off. Absolutely. Uh, what uh, I, 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 it, it pains me to see all the, the angry tweets, and I'm going to call this one out, Connor McKenna. Holy shit, dude. Like, we get it. You love P.K. Subban. You hate the trade. You think this is your vindication five years later that, oh, geez, look, I knew it all along. The Canadians can't win with Shea Weber. They'd be better with P.K. Well, I'm sorry, but where's P.K. Subban right now? How is New Jersey doing? It's not one player. But in this case, in this case, you're right. Weber is, he's looking tired. Let him sit a game, rest up, manage his minutes like that. 
Now, if Sherratt hadn't been injured, and you made a you made a sarcastic tweet last night about Sherratt, which some people took seriously. I, don't I, know. I know Canadians <laughs> haven't won without Sherratt in the lineup. But with Sherratt in the lineup, it'd be more likely that he would be able to sit Weber because Sherratt can bring that defensive game that he needs to to hold on for an evening. Well, even if you all right, say if even if you're reluctant to sit Weber, yeah, throw him down to the second pairing or third. Cut his minutes down by five to six a night. Cut him down to 17, 16, 17 minutes for the night and call it a night. That way you're not sitting him, but he's not playing 24, 25, 26 minutes a night. Yeah. All honesty, Edmondson and Petrie should be their number one pairing anyway, regardless of what's going on. Romanov has shown that he's not ready for the number one role, but I don't know if that's on Romanov or on the fact that Weber is struggling. If you're a young defensive partner and you're with a veteran all-star and he's struggling, you're not, you know what you're. Yeah. The Now, now Romanov looked okay. He made a couple of gaffes. Some of a couple of them were to defer to Weber and a couple were zone exits. That's something he has to work on, but he's a rookie. I get that. And, and yes, he played. I'm not, again, I'm not bashing Romanov. No, I, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is you want to move Romanov up the lineup. You can't go from here to here. You got to, you yeah. got you to, you know, uh, and that's why, and, and it works if you just drop them to, to the second pairing, right? Shorten their minutes to about 17, 18 max with PK power play time. Take Weber right off the power play. You don't, Weber's... I don't care if he scores a goal every once in a while. You don't need Weber on your power play. He's not. Romanov can take some of that time too he... on the PK and on yes. the power play. And, uh, and go like that. Um, yeah. The only good defensive pairing in those two games was Edmondson and Petrie. That was it. They were very the rest, consistent. I agree. They were consistent. Uh, Romanov <clears throat> and, and then that pairing of Rona Weber, I thought Weber was the worst defenseman in that pairing. Yeah, and the, back on, on Romanov, when I mentioned, yeah, he's a rookie, I mean it in the way that what, what we can't really expect him to be the guy to carry a, a pairing like that, in, especially against top opposition. He's, and not, that's what he's I was, not ready. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say. If yeah. Weber's struggling, you can't expect Romanov to be that guy who's going to take over and cover for Weber because he just doesn't know how to yet. He, he will be someday, but not today. Right. Um, Kulak Mete Mete had a terrible game last night uh, <laughs> You don't say You You uh, Crapping I, on you Mete You know what I'm not crapping on him It's just a fact <laughs> He was terrible uh, Kulak wasn't much better That third pairing was not very good uh, The game before Mete didn't have a terrible game He wasn't He was a non-factor And just like his five games previous Um I don't think but, they have Mete set up for success either. Bringing him in and out like that, he's not able to pick up oh, def- definitely uh, a rhythm. Not. And, definitely not. Yeah. Um, but with Sherratt going down, this is his moment to step up and say, hey, fuck you guys. This is what, you know, this is what you were leaving on the, in the, up in the press box. And no, not. But no. you're right. Like, give it a few games. Like, give it uh, a few more games. See what, how the Winnipeg series goes. I'm not going to shit on him and say he's terrible. Get rid of him. But yeah. at this moment, you can't wait two weeks to see if this defender is going to work out. 
See, in, in my view right now, Mete is, he is the type of defenseman that looks good against the fast team. So got, uh, teams like Toronto, he'll do extremely well against. But you go against those big, heavy teams like Calgary, Winnipeg, he just can't handle those big, heavy forwards. Brian Wiles said it perfect. You want Mete. Mete is the type of player that's going to get that puck out of the zone. He's going to look good doing it. The transitions game's going to be great. He's going to, you know, all the analytical guys are going to drool all over him because he's, He's he's control he's getting through the neutral zone like butter, getting into the offensive zone, and then that's where the play dies. And then the the sh- the puck he shoots is as if a butterfly landed on the goalie's shoulder. Correct. He, yeah. And he says, Mete in the offensive zone, the puck goes to a stick and just dies. And that is the issue with Mete. So everyone says I shit on Mete. I'm not saying the issue with Mete is that he has all this speed, all this puck movement but he can't do anything with it. And you can't be a puck moving defenseman. If you can't do anything in the offensive zone with the skills you have. I think he's playing his way out of Montreal. So he'll finish the season with the Canadians, but I think he's done with Montreal after this year. He's an an RFA. So he's either going to trade his rights or let him walk. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Mete is not going to be an NHL defenseman for quite a few years. He will be. There's a lot of teams that need depth defensemen, and he will go from team to team, probably play a good 10, 12 years. But to expect him to be a puck mover, to uh, power uh, quarterback a second wave of a penalty, uh, a power play, I, I can't, I can't see that happening. I mean, people are going to crap on the fact that he was in the NHL at the age of 18 and it ruined him. But let's be honest, he was a fourth-round pick, picked 100th overall. The fact that he is playing in the NHL is a success story. The fact that that he looks like he's going to be a a decent depth defenseman for a long period of time is a bigger success story. We couldn't have expected him to become, you know, uh, a top-line guy. I mean, you don't get a Markov in the sixth round every year, right? So... It's just his skill set just doesn't translate to what the Canadians truly need. I think the issue was when he Mete came into the league, uh, they had no other options. It was either him or Schlemko or Jamie Ben. I like Schlemko and, uh, just because his name sounds funny. Right. Shlemko. So I mean, and you know, that's on Bergman. He had no one yep. to replace Markov. He had no one to replace the the left side. And he had straight who he thought would, and he lasted like five games. Uh, and then Mete comes in, they throw him on with Weber and Weber <clears throat> kind of then made Mete look better than what he really was. Cause he covered for him, especially in the defensive zone. Weber was playing well and, and Mete provides well. the style of hockey fits with yeah exactly so that's why we've been pushing the romanov pairing which would look amazing if weber were playing up to his speed so we it takes a full circle right back to where we started on weber um you know i know that there's there's issues with the schedule but all teams have that so we can't really give them too uh, we can't give them a pass on that last game i agree that the game when you're playing two games within a 24 hour period, you get a pass on that one because that's, that's crap. That's garbage. 
especially with a travel day. You travel a thousand kilometers after one game and play yeah. another one the next, the same day. No, 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 no. You get a pass there, but the next game with a day off, you do not get a pass, especially when you need that win. Um, I know that there's talk of the team's too old. And we mentioned, we, we've kind of tiptoed around that a little bit. But is it really? I mean, Weber is older. He's 36. He just needs his minutes managed. He is still a top, a, a top option for shutdown. He can still work on the power play. He can still provide you 20-plus minutes. Uh, but you need to manage him a little bit better. Uh, Perry is a bit old. Uh, Petrie is older, but he looks amazing. It's as if he's he's Benjamin Buttoning <laughs> his career in the NHL. It's oh, unbelievable. Uh, he's only, well, he's 33. Yeah. Um, but I'm this just is a time when now. he's supposed to be sliding down, but he's moving up in his, yeah. his progression. It's, it's incredible. Uh, they have seven players of the age of 30 or older, both goal, yeah. both goaltenders. So the goaltenders are 30 and 33. Uh, but Weber and Perry are 35. Weber's soon to be 36. Uh, then Byron and Tatar round out the bottom at 31 and 30. Yeah. Um, you need to have veteran presence. You need to have guys that are in there. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head. That doesn't mean those guys need to be your top players. Um, Weber, and we're going to go back to Weber. Weber's going to be the talk of the town, I think, for a while. I don't think Weber yeah. is – you have to sit there and say, all right, he's done. I don't think he's done. I just think he's playing too much. you got to manage his minutes, and you got yeah. to you got to either give him a night off or two. Like a Bergevin said one time in a presser, uh, I think it was to Marinero or the Marinero interview. He said to him, all right, you go tell Weber he's not playing tonight and see what happens. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm sorry, as a coach, the GM shouldn't have anything to do with this. This is a coach thing. As a coach, you should see how your players are doing and you should walk up to Weber and say, hey, we got to talk. Either you're getting a night off or I'm cutting your minutes down by five to 10 minutes a game. Yeah. And in a normal a season, in a normal season, this may not be that big of an issue. No. But right now, with the way the season is, with the compressed schedule, this is an issue. This is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. So there has to be a way to manage his minutes, whether it be give him a night off once in a while and have someone else play, or like you said, take take his minutes down for a few games where you give a larger role to other players, give more ice time to... Petrie, give more ice time to Romanov, to whoever. These are things that, or do both. Take a few, take minutes away for three, four games, give them a night off, do it again for a couple more games. And, but again, it comes down to the pressure to win. Well, yeah, the Sherrod injury puts a big kind yeah. of hole in that because now you're, not that the Sherrod Weber pairing was being successful this year. But was it not successful because of their play, or was it not successful because because it was at the first of the season, and as the season wore on, I, I I think it all comes down to Weber's play. I think no matter who he's paired with, if he's not on the top of his game, that pairing's not going to do well, and uh, he's just not on his game. He's not. I don't think he's injured. I think he's just tired. I think he's yeah. just wore out. Yeah, and. Uh, now you look at the other old veterans. If we want to get into it, uh, like Perry. Well, Perry's a fourth line guy who plays in the power play. 
I'm not worried about his minutes. I'm not worried about his play. As a matter of fact, he's been one of the better forwards since Ducharme took over. Um, because he knows his role. He's playing within his role. And exactly. He's doing so as a pro. He's no complaints. Yeah. He knows what he's supposed to do and he's doing it. But um, give him a night off too. I mean, you can bring Ferlik in. You bring Ferlik in. You can bring you in Lekkinen. Uh, Lekkinen, Evans, and yeah. Byron can be a line. Yeah. Um, but Byron's another guy who's 31. Now, Byron hasn't been the same since he got knocked out. But uh, um, there's a guy who can sit and you leave Perry, uh, Perry in. There's a guy who should be on the taxi squad and you should be saving your cap money. But anyway, uh, I digress. Yeah, uh, they want his speed in the lineup. They, I mean, and don't get me wrong, he had a few good uh, chances against Calgary, especially uh, on the penalty kill there, where he uh, on the penalty he, kill. Yeah, he read that play and intercepted that little drop pass crap <clears throat> that they do, but so, it didn't pay off. No, but I mean, I, 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 I didn't mind them setting Lekkonen. I understood it, but to me, I don't like sitting a guy of Lekkonen's talent. A 25 year old when you have a 31 year old who's not playing any better who provides the same style of game who can do the same thing lightning can uh i would say bring the sit the veteran don't sit the well not that lightning is a rookie but sit play the young guy don't sit the veteran uh, that's yeah. just my philosophy see i agree with you there i think lightning he doesn't bring the exact same type of game. He brings a little bit more in my opinion yeah. uh because he's he's more capable of winning those board battles he's more capable of creating those offensive opportunities his his uh advanced stats are impressive he creates a ton of high danger chances because he's able to do puck retrieval that's his bread and butter he gets crapped on for not being able to finish ironically as a fin um but is that really that bad to have a bottom six player who can give you 10 12 goals and generate that i mean it's not bad, but he, he he doesn't finish, but he's also not prov- he's not providing much offense either. Um, this, well, he's going to be a guy that gives you 30 season. points at most. At this, most, he's a 30-point yeah. guy. Um, I I just look at Lekkanen as – I'll be honest, I'm disappointed in Lekkanen this season. I thought we'd get more out of him. Uh, not so much offensively, but I don't yeah. think his, his, his penalty killer's defense has been – where it was last year um byron i would say byron's disappointment he's not because he's actually just playing just as well as he did after he came back last year which is not very good at all um i there's just so many players this year that aren't playing up to their standards um like weber lekin yeah yeah uh byron tatar dano Gallagher even. Um, well, that's the GM's fault to have so many guys not provi- uh, not pr- producing to the level that was expected. Well, yeah, uh, definitely. It's <laughs> definitely the GM. He should have known this. But, um, uh, another issue I think um, that we should talk about a little bit is the lack of experience at center. This is something we talked about before the season, and we're seeing the fruits of that coming coming alive in front of us. Suzuki, Kanyemi neither one are producing at the levels that you want as top six and they're both in the top six now so it's their team i i'm gonna kind of disagree with cotton enemy since ducharme took over he's been their best center uh yeah his face-offs have gone from 41.5 to 48.7 so he's winning draws 
creating offense. He's quarterbacking his own power play on the second unit. Um, I'm talking more in the last two games. Oh, the last two games. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Last two. Wow. Nobody's played well in the last two games. So Suzuki to me, it's a bit of a, dis- like, I hate to say it because he's third on the team in scoring. Um, but, or sorry, uh, fourth on the team scoring. Um, but he's kind of been a disappointment to me this year because I, I think I expected more. I uh, expected that line of Suzuki, Drew, and Anderson just to be lights out. And Suzuki's very inconsistent. Now, before the last Winnipeg game, or before the Calgary series, he was on a four-point streak, a four-game point streak. Um, but he seems like that's what he kind of is. Like at the first of the season, he was on an eight-game point streak where he scored a point in every game. Uh, then he kind of lulled down. And I mean, I guess you could expect that from a sophomore thing. But uh, Montreal's biggest issue is their center. And we talked about this going into the season. You wrote an article about it. And uh, they, and this is on Bergevin because Bergevin played his cards on the fact that Cotton and Suzuki were going to play the entire season like they did in the bubble. Which was impossible. You could not honestly expect no. that. No. Uh, now, Caught Nemi after a slow-ish kind of start. He is emerging as the Habs' top center right now. Um, it's taken some time. He's, he's, he's producing. He's creating offense. He's playing a, a pretty good two-way game. He's still got to work on his defensive half. He's winning face-offs. Um, but that also goes back to Deneau. Deneau is just probably having his worst season uh, as a Hab. And, uh yes if he was even 75% of what he was last year, we probably wouldn't have these issues with Suzuki and Kotniemi because we wouldn't be forcing them into top six roles. Uh, well, because I like the fact that they're in top six roles. I it's, do too. They have the skill. They, they've provided what we were hoping for in spurts. And this is where the lack of experience comes in. Their inconsistency from their lack of experience is what's, hurting and you i think you hit the actual main reason why it's so pronounced is that deno is the most experienced center and he is not playing to his top levels no we're close yeah so if he were playing at that even 75 percent, like you mentioned he would insulate them better had he been able to play to the level he was the year before we would see, uh, we would see a better outcome. Yes, the the two young centermen who, between the two of them, have three NHL seasons completed, three between the two two to, uh, the top six centers. You you can't expect a Stanley Cup contender out of a team that's relying on a twenty and twenty one year old as your top six. Yes. They have the talent. Yes, they, they show that their potential is to become a 1A, 1B option at center. But this year, this is, this is how they build that experience. So there's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. You're going to see little mistakes. You're going to see amazing plays. But Deno was there to kind of solidify that, that center position. And unfortunately, he's been unable to do so. And uh, Last night's game, we saw uh, we saw him. It looked like he got injured, and he came back yeah. to complete the game. 
and he looked very tentative. He was slower. He, uh, he didn't have strength. He wasn't finishing checks. So are we, we can't play, put the blame at uh, loss of control at center solely on those two young guys. It does fall onto Deno and a little bit on Bergevin because when you only have four centermen in the lineup with Evans sitting so that Byron can move to center without a veteran center option to bring up from the taxi squad or to have as a, a healthy scratch, this is, you're going to see this. Had they had someone like a, an Eric Halla who could have stepped in and played a three, a three C role, it wouldn't be as pronounced that, that, that lack of control at center wouldn't be as pronounced. And that would have helped the overall transition game. Yeah. Uh, there's two things Bergevin has to do. If he wants this team, it depends on what bird. Okay. First you got to see, is the management happy for this just to be a playoff team? And if so, then he probably doesn't have to make too many moves going forward. Um, if that's what they're, if they're saying, all right, let's just make the playoffs. Think about what we're going to do next year to see if we're going to move forward. If they think, man, if we make the playoffs, we have a legit chance of winning something here. Then he has two very big moves he has to make in order to do that. One, it's give a get a left-handed defenseman to play on the play with Weber, a top four puck mover to play with Weber. The second is to solidify his center. By solidifying his center, he needs to have at least a top nine center coming into the doesn't have to be a number one center, doesn't have to be a, but he needs a top nine center who's around a 58 to 60 percent face-off winner. Eric somewhere, somewhere around there uh, to come in and play because Dado's not getting the job done. Uh Desharm's trying to use De- Deneau in overtime just to win a draw and get off the ice, and Deneau's not even doing that. Um, And the young guys, yes, they have the skill. Yes, they have the talent. But they're not elite. They're not the type of guys like Dave. Not yet. A guy guy who just come right into the NHL from the minors and tear it up. They're, They're just not there yet. They need their time to to get their game going to learn the small points of the game and move forward. Once that happens in two to three years, we're going to have great center depth with, with Suzuki and, and, and the cotton enemy. It's going to be, it's going to be good. However, if Montreal doesn't make the playoffs, you're not going to have a GM. You're not going to have the same GM here and who knows what the next GM is going to do. Um, So Bergevin has to, if he feels this team is going to go somewhere in the playoffs, he has to fill those two holes, at least one of them, at least one of them, uh, in order for this team to go anywhere once they make the playoffs. I agree. I agree. Absolutely needed. Yeah. So, and having and having said that, Eric Hula is a good pick. I know you've been high on Eric Hula for some time now. Um and yeah, right now, no one really comes to mind for me to say who else should go in there. Eric Stahl probably wouldn't be a good choice to bring in. Uh, he might be cheap, um, but then you're just bringing another old guy into a uh, 
a situation. So, yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> now the the stall thing. I mean, it's it's rumored that he, every Canadian contender is on his no trade list because he doesn't want to have to deal with the fourteen day quarantine. That, that's a major issue that they ha- that Canadian teams have to overcome when making a trade. And, and that's the thing too. If Bergeron's going to make a move, you got to do it soon. I would think this in the next week would be ideal. In the next two weeks is likely yeah. when he will move. Oh, I don't, I, mean, I don't remember the exact date of the trade deadline. I'm not sure. The 12th is, of but... the 12th of April. All right. So three weeks. Yeah. Um, and then you have 13 games remaining for the Canadians after that date. So if you were to make a move this week, by the time the deadline rolls around, you'll have about 16 games left. And if you make it at the deadline and it's with an American team, the guy's going to play like three games before the playoffs. At best. Yeah. So if if you were already in that playoff spot and it's solidified, you know it's going to happen, it's not that big a deal. But when you're the Canadians and you're fighting, you're fighting tooth and nail for that third spot, that will be a big deal. And I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a defender of Bergevin. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Yes uh, and no. He needs to, I think I'm a realist. I, I call myself a realist when it comes to Bergevin. He needs to make his moves and he needs to make them now. Yeah. But it's like I said before, all depends on how he sees, how management sees this team. If they think, well, we're a playoff team, you know, I put the play people in place. I put the coach in place. I put this in place. We should make the playoffs. If we win a round or two, great bonus. But if we don't, we reached our mandate for the year, right? Now, yeah. next year is when we're going to sit down and go, all right, what do we need to make that step forward? If that's the case, then I don't see him doing anything. I really don't. Nothing major anyway. I see him making a couple of moves, uh, especially now. Uh, this is the time to make them. I think he's going to make them. It's spring break, uh, which – I th- it is really the, the key point for him. And speaking of spring break, our partners at Manscaped invite, uh, they, they're, they're into spring break as well. Now COVID spring break is right around the corner. And you know what that means? Spring break in your pants. Manscaped is here to ensure that the party in your pants never stops. Even Veronica Corningstone wouldn't say no to this pants party. For everyone preparing for a pants party this spring break, you too, GMs. I have an exclusive 20% off discount. Use code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest or ball shave. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to the advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Don't ruin any vibes this spring break or upcoming summer with some peaking pubes coming out of your swimsuit. Be sure to use their Crop Cleanser Body Wash to keep your hair and skin feel healthy and fresh. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. 
You'll also find the Crop Reviver Ball Toner, a spray-on testy toner that's designed to give your boys a little slice of heaven. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers, my personal favorite. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code UNFILTERED20. Say aloha to your new beautiful balls with Manscaped. So after that little spring break, uh, we can do a quick preview of the Winnipeg Jet Series. Uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be fast. And it may hurt. All of it kind of ties into spring break. <laughs> no, the, uh, the Jets series, the Canadians are a couple of points back of the Jets. Uh, let's see. To be exact, five points back. They've both played 27 games. Uh, these are four-point games because every game is a divisional game. So if the Canadians can somehow find a way to play the way they can play and win a game against the Jets as they did the last time, maybe not 7-1, but if they can pull off a, a two-game sweep of this series, they are one point back of the Jets for second place. So... I don't see any reason the why they can't. They They really. could but they need to adjust their game. We went through this at, uh, you know, really in depth in the in talking about the Calgary series. All those adjustments have to be found because Winnipeg plays a similar type of game as Calgary. The difference is uh, Calgary's defense is much better. Oh, much better. Like Yeah. Um I think Montreal's played well against Winnipeg all season. Um, every game's been close. It's been a bear, pretty much a one-goal game. They've been goalied for, a few times, except for the seven-one game, um, which, uh, yeah, it's it's an outlier. But uh, yeah, Montreal just needs to get back to their triangle up through the neutral system. Their their short passes, use their speed, use their transition game. This should be the type of style uh, going back to Mete with the charm coat. This should be the type of style that Mete should thrive in because uh, it's all about transition and it's all about uh, um, players being in the right spots at the right time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we, we went through this with the short passes and with Mete, yep. if, if all he does is get that short pass done and gets the puck out of the defensive zone, maybe keep it in the offensive zone a couple of times, then he has met his requirements. Exactly. And uh, we all know Mete can do that. We all know his transition game's good, so there's no reason why he shouldn't. Um, and it's not just about Mete, it's about the entire team. The, the, we have two lines now that on paper should be able to score almost at will, really. Uh, Anderson, Deneau, and, uh, and Suzuki, and Kotniemi, Gallagher, and Toffoli are two lines that should be giving the other line, uh, whoever they're playing against fits in the offensive zone. Um, Anderson shouldn't have to, uh, no, no, I'm going to disregard it. Anderson should play his game. I don't think he needs to fight Luchik or, or, or guys like Luchik, but um, 
he got to play his game. Druin got to keep playing his game. Suzuki got to pull up his socks. Now he said in an interview uh, yesterday was he, he's not playing the way he was at the first of the season. He thinks his confidence is a bit da- down. He got to get that confidence back up. Um, and if he realizes that, all right, work with that, go with that, use that, get better. Uh, caught Yemi to Foley and Gallagher. They're looking pretty good together. Uh, the third line to know Tatar and Armia. I don't know what's going on with Armia, but he's, uh, he has not looked very good. He's an anchor on that line. And uh, um, and he could do so much better. And I expect him to play a much better game against Winnipeg, his former team. He tends to tends to show up for those games. So uh, if he doesn't, that's when I'm going to start to worry about him. Yeah. And uh, it, the defense, uh, if they can shut down, uh, well, the, the top six in Winnipeg is so good. Um, and they really got to play a tight defense back in their own end and make sure that the passes that they're putting out are in low danger passes. So even if they do lose it, it's along the boards or somewhere that it's, you know, not out front. Cause it's out front do Shifley and Dubois are just going to, they're going to light them up. Price. Yeah. They're going to yeah. light them up. Uh, and, if, uh, if the defense can work at uh, playing that, uh, playing a bit of a, a denial game where they, they have their, their little, triangle and in a slot if they can keep the shots out of that area and keep them a little bit to the outside i think that price playing the way he is now and allen who has played like like this all year should be able to stop pretty much all the shots now obviously we're not looking at uh you know perfect games here being thrown by these two goalies but at the same time if you if you cut down those high danger chances to a minimum those two guys should be able to pull out the wins for you. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, definitely. And, uh, you know, Hellybuck is a, it's another guy that you gotta, you gotta look out for. He's gonna, he's gonna steal a game or two from Winnipeg, but just like price, just like anyone else, Hellybuck can be beat. It's just a matter of beating him. And we have the guys that can do it. Um, I'm expecting a one, one win, one, lose one uh, series. Uh, I'm hoping for a two and zero, or at least a one zero and one. I'll even take three points out of the out of the four if we if we can get it. Um, but for them, I don't like relying on other teams. Uh, like for instance, they get three games in hand on Edmonton, one on Calgary. I don't like hoping Edmonton loses. Uh, like against Winnipeg, I was actually rooting for the Leafs because I wanted Winnipeg to lose. <laughs> You know, because Montreal's yeah. 31 points, Winnipeg was 33. If they lose, Montreal's still only two points out of third. Uh, but Winnipeg spanked Toronto and uh, friggin' Leafs, even with their backup goalie. So uh, they can never do anything right, those Leafs. Well, you know, it's all Anderson's fault. But uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I don't like relying on other teams. Montreal no. should make their own fate. Um, can't look in the pack, can't change the past. So you can look back at all the games they should have, could have, would have won, and they didn't. Doesn't matter. They didn't win them. They lost them, or they lost. They them are the where they are now. And with the yeah. with the road uh, with the road trip the way it has been, with the record they've pulled off in this road trip, they they absolutely have to have three points coming out of that uh, two game set. Yeah. If they don't, then they've really dug themselves too deep a hole to get back into that second place. The only, <clears throat> the only advantage they have now is that, uh, like I said before, 
if they pay 500 for the rest of the season, it forces Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver to all play 600 or higher in order to keep pace. Um, so to throw a positive note before we get to our next section segment, <laughs> uh, Edmonton's trending down. So I, I think, and then Montreal, even if they stay on par, Montreal should still keep their playoff spot. It may be the fourth spot, but again, if you paid attention to Habs unfiltered at the start of the season, we said best case scenario, they'll finish third and battle. There'll be a big battle between the third, fourth and fifth team. That's exactly what we said. And we've been saying this all along and Montreal, is but you're exactly- an apologist. You are unrealistic. You, you met a hater. You Montreal is exactly where we said they would be exactly where we said they would be. pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I expected a little bit better out of them recently, but yeah, they're in generally in the same, in the spot and they're more jockeying for playoff position at this point. Then they, I, I, I really don't see them missing out on the playoffs. I don't at, at this point, but at this point, because but. of that two games set against Calgary, they aren't far off from dropping out of a playoff spot either. That is correct. Which would then become a massive failure for this team. And we would see a big change. And that would make some people very, very happy, which takes us into a segue to our next segment. (sighs) Negativity. It's almost as if some people are only happy when they're miserable. It's called Twitter. Yeah. So Facebook. actually Facebook's worse. Facebook is worse than Twitter. Because it's all the boomers. And and not just I remember that, when they won 20 cups in my lifetime. And I've I'm literally so freaking seen old. A Facebook post about how Sam Pollock would not let this team get the way it is right now. Sam Pollock. Think about this for a minute. Sam Pollock. Well, he, he was a great even, GM. Yeah, back when there was no cap and you there could was buy what? a minor league system. Yeah. What, what was it, like six teams or something? Like when was Sam Pollock a GM? 70s? Yeah. Uh, so, he, he was there from the 16 to the 12 team era. Exactly. So, all right. Good on you, Sam Pollock. Now, manage this cap. He'd have no goddamn clue. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Manage, manage free agency because um, he was a GM before free agency existed. Correct. Um, but I digress. And again, I'm not giving Bergevin a free pass at all. Uh, nope. If Bird, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, I'm going to say Bergevin keeps his job only because he only has a year left. And that's the only uh, reason would, I'm saying he keeps his job. I would say fire him, but that's me. I would say fire him. I just think Molson is going to keep him to the end of his contract just so he's not paying a coach and a GM to sit at home and do nothing. If you, if you get what I'm trying to say here, I, I can see that it, unless, unless the perfect candidate jumps up. Uh, yeah. Unless Patrick yeah. Waugh jumps in there and says, Hey guys, I said, perfect. I'm going to change this around. I'm going to be the new coach and GM and uh, screw everybody. I quit. No. Um, no. Uh, yeah. So that the whole MB being fired stuff. Um, so, in the summertime, oh well, summertime, the off season, uh, Bergevin went from being a genius GM 
who really took this team a gigantic leap forward and is in line to become the GM of the year to becoming a piece of garbage who needs to be fired on the spot. And it comes from the same people you would expect every single time. And it's, it's getting tiring. Pick a lane folks. Well, not just that, but then you have the usual suspect hockey players that all need to be traded for a bag of pucks because they all suck. Jonathan Druin. Every time the Habs lose, Jonathan Druin needs to be traded because it's all his fault. The guy who's actually playing well. The guy who's one of the top forwards on the team. I'm sorry to tell you people, but Druin is doing board battles. He's forechecking. He's backchecking. As good as Dano can back check in that. And he's uh, providing offense. He's creating offense and providing offense. Oh, I, wait. He, he only has two goals, so he's terrible. Hockey DB is killing people. I'm sorry, yeah. but it's killing people because they look well, at that and go, two goals. This guy sucks. If he's only getting if he's only getting assists every game, every game, then Secondary. he sucks. Secondary. Hey, point a game. Terrible hockey player terrible um i just and you know it's just it's it's the usual guys then you have guys like connor mckenna going on about weber and how terrible he is uh we mentioned it earlier and they should never trade a suban i'm sorry but you take nashville the year they were traded they still would have went to the final whether weber was there or suban was there it wasn't suban was not the reason the team went to the final pekka uh, Rene. Yeah, and, and this is not a slight on PK Subban. I, I love PK. I love PK. Yeah. PK was a, was a, a great player for the Montreal Canadiens, um, but he wouldn't have changed this team. The team still would. All right, yes, he would have. We would have had a top four puck moving left handed defenseman. No, he's right handed. Is he right? I thought he was left. Yeah. No, he's right. All right. That's well, it. there you go. Wouldn't have changed the team. We would just have, would have had a puck mover instead of a bagger, basically. Anyway. I, I'm not, that's, that's go over and done with um, the negative. If you want to be negative, be negative for the right reasons and for the right things. All right. Be negative about the fact that Deneau's not playing well, be negative about the fact that Weber's not playing well, be negative about the fact that Bergevin needs to make moves soon. And if he doesn't, and we don't make the playoffs, then it's on him. It's okay. To, it's okay to, want him fired, but make sure you want him fired for the reason he should be fired for. And not just because you don't like him. Yeah. And this is the problem is the Edmondson Edmondson's still a guy that everyone says is a shit defenseman. Yet he's been probably our second best defenseman behind Petrie all season. He's played the exact way that people were anyone who's watched him play before you expected a certain style, you expected a certain level and he has shown up and provided that level of play, that style of play. He has been the best defensive defenseman on that team. He's doing his job. Now, my point on this... Almost perfectly, he's doing his job. Yeah. My point on it, though, he's providing exactly what he's supposed to provide as the player that he is. However, he wasn't the player they needed. That's on Bergevin. No. They needed a puck mover. They got Edmondson instead. That's on Bergevin. Oh, definitely. That's a, that is on Bergevin. And yeah. he's been trying to fill that left-handed defense role for, what, three, four years now? Five well, years? Well, they were doing the, the whole 
retool in air quotes yeah. or rebuilt, whatever the hell word you want to put to it, he decided to kind of not spend money or make big trades to get those pieces. And, and that's fine. But now we're in the, in that position where he has to make these moves. And right. are we going to crap on Bergevin for stuff that he forgot or forgot or did not do for his actual job? Or are we going to crap on him because some players aren't living up to the expectations of their play this season? And I'm not talking about Drouin because the expectation for him was to be some kind of freaking miracle, uh, the next Guy Lafleur, which is unrealistic. I mean, the guy signed for $5.5 million. He is playing at the level that he is being paid at. So I am happy with what he is providing. Do I like the fact that they traded Sergachev to get him? No. But that's the part that's on Bergevin. It's not get rid of Drouin because I didn't like what we traded away to get him. That is dumb. That is that is a really bad position to take. You can be angry at the trade because he overpaid Bergevin, but don't be angry at the player. The player is doing absolutely everything he's supposed to do. Everything. I totally agree. Uh... So... And we talked about this before, and I've wrote an article about it, about how some of Bergevin's trades were bad, not because of the players that were involved, because when he traded Sergeyev, he needed a puck-moving left-handed defenseman. He didn't he need one. he didn't need a right winger that he hoped would be a good center, or left sorry left winger that he hoped would yeah. be a good center, and he traded one for him, and uh, that was what made. I'm I I like Druin. I think Druin's exactly where he yep. should be. He's doing exactly what he should do, and uh, he's with the players that bring out the better in him. If you think if you're going to blame him because you just don't like him, then that's the stupidest reason to uh, uh, blame yep. a player. Now Bergevin wins his trades a lot. It's if you look at it, if you isolate it to just the players that he moves out for the players he moves in, he tends to win his deals. The issue I have with him is that you, and you kind of pointed to it in your last comment, he doesn't build the right team. He, he wins the trade, but he's not bringing in the, the main piece you really, really need. Now, in the last couple of years, that's kind of shifted a little bit because he made the, the, the Weber-Suban trade was quote unquote a win because Weber is still more productive and he provides that big leadership piece. So sure. Call that a win, but you traded a right handed top pair defenseman for the same damn thing. You're just changing styles instead of trading for that top center, which he finally did with the Pacioretty trade. But that's however, take he, time. Didn't, he didn't get that a top center that could come right in and be that top center right away. That's right. See, I, I said before, and uh, again, I wrote an article about it. It's probably the same article. Uh, the PK Weber, I to me, it's a win-win for both teams. I, I don't care about this. Nashville got what they wanted. Montreal got what they wanted. End of conversation. End of the debate. Um what he should have done though is use if he was getting rid of PK PK, he should have got rid of PK and got a number one center that was already NHL ready. Well, the rumored deal before that was a deal that had something to do with trading up to the third pick, and it would have been Pierre Luc Dubois and 
you know, it had, or up to the fourth pick with Vancouver, they would have gotten uh, Dubois to the deal. And, you know, sure. That would have been a much better way to go, but um, sure. Yeah. And, and making the Suzuki deal uh, there, even though he did well on that trade by replacing Pacioretty with a player that's almost as productive and adds in a pick and adds in a future top line center, they were still crapping on because he said that he, he demanded glass, but he, he didn't know anything about Suzuki. I mean, that's bullshit. Well, how does a GM not know anything about a prospect on another team? That's just, that's dumb. Uh, I don't even know if the glass rumors are even true. Even so, if they are, even if it was true that he wanted glass, I'm sure that the demand was, Hey, you want this guy. I want one of your top young center prospects. Right. And then they said, okay, well, we don't want to, we're going to give you Suzuki. Fine. I'll take that guy. I know that guy. He looks pretty good. Hey, why not? So, and you nailed them. You nailed it on the head. The issue here is not the fact that he brought in a high end skilled player. It's that the skilled player wasn't quite ready. Right. But so we at the need, time, we, we need patience. At the time he was in his retool. Yeah. So he wasn't so, looking. He wasn't looking no. for a center that was ready. Um. And of course, a lot of negativity is out there is because every time someone's available, Montreal's trading for him. Ackholm. This guy. Oh, Montreal needs left-handed defenseman. Oh, Ackholm's available. Oh, Montreal's going to trade all their trash for Ackholm. I, I wrote an article on Ackholm being the perfect fit for the Canadians, but I wasn't offering trash. They would be. That's, my, that's the he difference. He would be the perfect fit. He would be. He, he, is he, he would be. I, and I would love for him to go out and get Ackholm. But I it's going to cost... He, you never know. You never know. But to get at home, you would have to give up a first. You'd have to give up uh, salary. So pro- maybe even a Lekkonen. Um, and, and then you'd have to give up a high-end prospect. According to LeBron, it's a first-round pick, roster player, top prospect. According yeah, and to a, Pierre LeBron. A defensive one. Uh, he didn't say that in the tweet I read, but maybe I, I don't. Yeah. I don't he wrote know. that into a, an athletic article. So he mentioned defense. So the Canadians have a lot of really good young left-handed defensemen. They had, they have all of that. They so, could give up. It, it all depends on who the roster player is that they're looking for. They, I yeah. mean, are, are they looking for say Toffoli or, you know what I mean? And, you know, are they looking for a high end roster player? I don't think so. I think they're looking uh, yeah. at the first pick in the, in the top prospect. Uh, Lekkonen would be perfect. Lekkonen would be a great guy to go over. Cause he's a younger guy who can fill in, uh, fill in a role on yep. their team for a long period uh, of time. Um, and for a defensive prospect, we have tons of them. Um, Norlander, Harris, Struble, Gooley. Um, I wouldn't give up Gooley, but you know, uh, whatever. Uh, I, there's a few I wouldn't give up, but yeah. I mean, we, we have those guys like Norlander. I don't think I'd want to give up Norlander, but. But if, if you're going to make this home, move, if you're going to make this move, you'd have to give up one of them. So these are things that these are where I would, uh, I would, uh, I would be angry with Bergeron at this point. You want to, you want a team to go deep. You want a team to look good for the next couple of years. You got to make these moves. You got to be willing to spend the capital. Oh. You spent those years building up the capital, use it, spend it, or lose your job. We have the prospects. We have the picks. Start going out there and going, hey, you're you're starting to rebuild. I want this player. Yeah. Like, you know, go to Ottawa. 
not that they really have anyone we could take off them right now, but because they're all young players, but or go to a, a Detroit or a team rebuild and say, I need a left-handed defenseman that puck mover. You have one I want. You're in a rebuilding thing. Here's a prospect. Here's a draft pick. You know, here's a player. And then go from there. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. If Bergevin... Bergevin's in a tight spot. His, I think he's his his, yeah. his job's on the line. I did say before, just based on the fact Molson's not going to want to pay two coaches and two GMs for the next year, that's why I don't think Bergevin would get fired. Uh, if he, they make the playoffs, he's definitely not getting fired. Um, but if they struggle to make the playoffs and then they get put out pretty easily in the first round, that's on him, man. Like you, yeah. you had the, you have the tools to go out and improve this team and make it better. Start doing, you can't build through the draft for 20 years. I'm sorry. You just can't do it. At some point you uh, got, especially to with this draft step. coming up. Well, this, especially draft, this draft coming up yeah. where we you don't, don't know. What's, know. <laughs> no, you, you don't know what's coming. Um, they have 14 picks. Uh, now would be a good time to spend some of that capital. Cause some teams have scouted more than others, uh, especially down, in the teams that are down lower in the standings, they want the, they want those picks this year's picks, next year's picks that that's what they're looking for. So spend it, use it. You've got a ton of prospects. Uh, I know people are hoping that Tatar gets traded somehow for some kind of magic, uh, magic potion and it makes room for Caulfield, but don't expect that kind of stuff. At this point, I think we're in agreement. Bergevin is on the bubble. His job's on the line. The negativity around the team right now, uh, it's its kind of tiring to see every time they win, they're the best. Every time they lose, fire everyone. Uh, so I think we can end the show on on that, uh, that, you know, a call for civility. Just point just, your negativity to the right things. Yeah. And don't be so... <laughs> And don't be as negative. Like your life is not coming to an end because a hockey team lost the game. Let, let's be honest. We're taking it. People take this much too seriously. Uh, I'm guilty of it at times, but <sighs> deep breath, Bruce Frappa. And then, and then think about it logically for a couple of minutes then make your post because a lot of people out there are making some really good salient points they're they're bringing up good quality points realistic points of view uh good uh, and generating great discussion out there Habs twitter could be fun it could be great but at times it gets pretty dark so i think we'll end the show here Uh, i'd like to thank everyone who's been listening I want to remind you that we do have a YouTube channel, uh, Habs Unfiltered. Go and subscribe. Hit that little bell so you don't miss a single episode or fun exclusive content video. There's going to be more on the way. Uh, Treg and I discussed some prior to coming on air, and there's going to be some really, really good fun stuff coming up. And also, the more of you who subscribe, the more of you that have a chance at winning uh, Terry Ryan's latest book, fights films and folklore uh we're gonna pick at random one of the new subscribers to win this book uh and uh yeah did you have any final thoughts no okay so thank you for listening and thank you for uh, for those on youtube who are watching thank you for that as well tell all your friends 
uh, invite everybody to watch and subscribe and like and listen. And um, hey, if you want to send us an email at habsunfiltered at outlook.com, feel free. Uh, hit us up on uh, any of the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all under Habs Unfiltered. Uh, we are proud to be an independent fan-based podcast with two writers for the Hockey Writers, uh, myself with uh, Recruits as well. So find our work at Hockey Writers and Recruits. And for Matt, when he's not at work in the Air Force, he is here. We're trying to get him to write more, but someday, someday. So thank you for listening. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.